Is everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott. It is time for your Jazz Insider Report presented by Cypress Credit Union. With the lowest fees and quickest keys, Cypress has the home loan product that is perfect for you. Visit any Cypress branch or cypresscu.com for details today. Let's uh, get on out to the Sprint special guest line. Uh, get $100 off the redesigned Apple Watch 4 with a new line of service. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Joining us now, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, live from Sacramento. He's our good friend, David Locke. What's up, David? Sitting in Sacramento traffic, on the bus, off the plane, waiting to go to the hotel, bumper to bumper. Isn't traveling the best? Don't you just love it? It's a lot of time into every day. We, you know, we have not had a, I'm not, I mean, it's just a fact. So the guys have not had a day yet where we don't play or don't travel. Hmm. In the spirit of uh, load management, uh, David, shouldn't something be done about that? Um, well, I think this was done in the spirit of load management, except for the fact that we're on the West Coast, and so we have all these one and outs and one and backs. That's why we travel more miles than any team in the league this year. So this is kind of the first. You know, we'll be playing our, what, sixth game, in, and it'll be in six no cities back-to-back yet. Um, so it won't be until our eighth and ninth games that we play in the same city back-to-back. Monday will be their first day where they don't fly or don't have something to do, and then we're home all week. Would you rather go on a long road trip? Yes. Yeah. I, you're, I always have thought that. I've always thought the West Coast and back are, are much more exhausting than um, – the, yeah, the one outs and backs are much more exhausting than the multiple trip. I mean, this one's nice because we come out here, we play Sacramento, we go to L.A. So you at least knock off two while you're out here, and then you come back, and so that seems fine. Um, what's tough is when you go out and play and you come back, and you, you're back at 3.30, that's your off day – when you arrive at 3.30 in the morning, that day itself is your off day, and the next day you play. It doesn't really feel like, you know, you just kind of feel like you're still going. Can, can I ask you a question about about load management real quick, David? We, we were talking, Jake and I were talking about this earlier. In those years when John and Carl went to the NBA Finals, do you think if they had taken every fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth game off that that would have increased their performance in the in the postseason, or do you think that's uh, that's nonsense? I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I think you know one of those we end up sweeping the Lakers and then having nine days off before the finals. So that's right. I don't know what the impact would have been. I mean, I think the problem in the finals was that Michael Jordan was great, and I don't think load management would have made Michael Jordan any less good. Um, but I do think that. I mean, I think Jerry load managed John Stockton the whole time, right? Like, if you go look, he played 30 minutes, and he never played more, and he, you know, he had the kind of he had that system, and and so I think that's where some of this load management science isn't really known yet, or isn't science. Like, so you give Kawhi Leonard the day off, so he plays 34 less NBA minutes. If you, over a course of six games, played him 30 instead of you know, I guess it'd be eight games, played him 30 instead of 34, played him 28 instead of 34 over six. Is that the same thing? Like, is it cumulative minutes? Is it minutes on a given night? Is it, 
I don't, they don't know the answer to that. that. That science has not been done yet. I would prefer that because I think it's more fair for the fans. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I don't really I haven't thought about it. It's an interesting debate, right? So if Kawhi Leonard stays healthy, but what's bad for the fans, what just happened to Steph Curry, and that has nothing to do with load management. Right. right now you miss seeing him on TV and you miss seeing him, those who get to see him in person. The fan who gets to watch on TV, I think, is just as important in some ways as the fan who gets to, you know, watch it on, go to the game. I mean, I'm not, um, you know, it's nice if you get to go to a game, but some people can't do it. So I don't think going to a game defines, you know, whether we should value you a fan or not. But I, so I, but it just, you know, so if you didn't get to see Kawhi last night on television, it's not good either. Now, for some reason, that means you actually get to see Kawhi more because he didn't get, doesn't get hurt later in the season because of that, then that's great. So I, I don't, but there's no proof to that. And, you know, there's no proof of whether it's, you know, cumulative minutes or cumulative games or whether it's practice time or, um, you know, there's knowledge now. Uh, the only the only science I have seen, I, thought, I think there was a study once that, that you're something like 8% slower the day after on a back, on the second game of back-to-back. Okay, that's, that's like, that's worth noting. I mean, I, I've always thought that the league was going to get to a point where you, if you, you end up, if you had enough depth, you would have, you'd almost have an A team and a B team for back-to-backs. Um, your bench guys would play both A and B team, but your starters would be divided up and you'd have an A and a B team so that Rudy and Donovan and Mike play one night and Boyan and Joe and Royce play the other or something like that. Probably wouldn't do it that way, but um, just because if you really are 10% slower or whatever it is, that's significant. David Locke with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And, David, I've got a compliment for you because, of course, I was listening to the uh, to the broadcast last night, and I thought you very appropriately captured the energy that was in the building of the third quarter specifically last night. I thought you and Boone did a, did a terrific job. So describe to me from your vantage point watching Mike Conley come out and have a performance like that in the third quarter. It was cool. I mean, I think – you know, it really was bothering him. Like that's, I think what we, I think when you see those reactions, you actually realize how much was bothering them beforehand. Right. Like you didn't doubt it, but I don't think any of us quite understand what those eight days were like for Mike Conley. You know, here he's in a new town, new city, wants to do well, probably wants to do well more than any other time other than a playoff series he's played in, but that's different. Like he doesn't think anyone's not going to love him if he doesn't play well in a playoff series here. He's trying to prove himself to a, a brand new fan base and, and all these aspects. And all of a sudden it's just not going well. And, and doesn't go well again. It kind of goes okay, and then it goes not well, and it goes not well. And then I think it actually, you know, I would guess that, I would guess that, you know, the fourth one probably nodded him a little bit, like wondering, hmm, why is this still going on? And, you know, what's it going to take? And so for him to have that night and hit those shots and, you know, kind of get back to being himself, I think was, was super important. And for the Jazz, it was a sign of, you know, what this offense can do. I think the most interesting play in that whole sequence was the, the lob to Rudy. Yeah. That all of a sudden, if Mike Conley's rolling, then they have to shift over, and then suddenly Rudy's open again because they're not leaving Boyan and they're not leaving Joe. And I, I think that's, uh, to me, that was that was the play, actually, that was the moment of like, oh, that's what the Jazz offense can be. Is Mike Conley hits a few shots, and then he's driving. Now you got to shift over to him, and then boom, here comes, you know, here comes Rudy with the, with the dunk. David, I saw a tweet that you sent out earlier today, and I, I, I couldn't agree with it more. Something to do along those same lines that uh, the Jazz offense was uh, pretty much fully uh, unfurled in that game last night. Can you uh, expand on that a little bit? Well, I mean, what's interesting is it, it just 
the offense quite hasn't gone yet. Now, you know, they're not offensive rebounding at all. They're about 29th in the league in offensive rebounding, so that'll make it hard for them to be an elite offensive team if they don't have any offensive rebounding, and this roster might not offensive rebound. Um, but, you know, we're beginning to see the shooting. They're shooting 38% from three. I think it's sixth best in the NBA so far, and, you know, that's with Mike Conley not playing particularly well and Joe Ingles not playing well, and the two guys that are hot are Royce O'Neal and Jeff Green. So they'll come down to life, and and Mike and Joe will get going, and there's a decent chance this team's a 39 40% three-point shooting team. And so now you have all the spacing that you've ever wanted with some guys who can really drive and penetrate with the best vertical spacer in the league and Rudy Gobert. It's, it's, I've never doubted this offense was going to be good this year. My question the whole time was whether the defense could be as good, and thus far the defense is better than it was a year ago. David, we've heard you talk about it often, the best shots in the game, corner threes, dunks, layups, you know, shots at the rim. This year, Donovan Mitchell has taken and made more mid-range shots. It's become a, a bigger part of his game. He only attempted two threes, and he actually addressed it a little bit in the post game. But I'm wondering your thoughts on his transitioning shot selection. What did he say post game? Oh, uh, we could. Uh, I, I would hate to misquote him. We could he dig said, it up, but he said that he was uh, he was uh, finding gaps and he was being more patient and he was slowing down. So, when I get what he's doing, and your best players are going to have to take mid range shots, but the Jazz are taking as a team way too many right now. Hmm. So they they've got to they've got to get that shot composition as an offense back to where it needs to be which is having your mid-range shots be somewhere between, you know, probably 23 to 18% to 23% of your shots. Like 18 is pushing it a little bit, but um, that's what you'd like. Um, they're they're high right now. Uh, now Donovan's making his, but he's making them at an unnatural rate. Uh, he, you know, if he can be one of those few guys in the league that shoots so – I mean, the thing is on the mid-range shot, when you – look at it the best guys in the league there's like four of them that shoot over 45 percent and that's it i mean so it's just not a shot that goes in um, for whatever reason and um if he can be one of those guys that's nice it's still just 0.9 points for a possession but it does open up a lot of things and it's what teams are going to give you so you know he's going to have to make that shot um to be you know a bona fide lead scorer in the league he just his game doesn't need to be dependent on that shot and I would say, as good as he was last night, he's not going to be efficient very often when he takes 13 of his 15 shots or 15 of his 17 shots as, you know, twos. And if most of them are long twos, particularly because you never get fouled on them. So uh, I think it's important that he makes that shot. And I think it's important he has it in his repertoire, but it's not a shot which I think you can live by. David, what's your uh, sort of articulation of what you're seeing out of Boyan Bogdanovich thus far? A lot. I mean, I think that's the story, right? There's, there's just so much to his game. The one play that caught me was in Phoenix where you're on the floor, and so you just have a different feel for the game. Thank you to the Phoenix Suns for that. Um, and Al McCoy. Uh, but he drove to the basket, and he just rose up faster and higher than I than I naturally thought he would. I mean, there's an element as an announcer when you're watching a game that you kind of are anticipating what's about to happen. And he just did those two things. He got higher and up faster than I anticipated. So, you know, you saw last night there was a play where he lined somebody up. Um, trying to remember who it was. It wasn't a great defensive player. It might have been Zubak. But he lines him up and just beats him. I mean, he just beat him. Like, you didn't even see. But you couldn't really see what he did. It wasn't like he went in, you know, 
crossed over and beat him. He just kind of went in and out with the right hand and just beat him. So I just think there's a little more to him in every way than what you naturally perceive. His three-point shooting's good, but his release is better than you realize. It's so quick. His drive game, I think he's a little more elusive than maybe you'd think he was otherwise. His ability in the, in the paint is a, he's a little stronger than you think he is. I, I just think there's a little more to him than, than, you, than you think. And, you know, he's not a guy we all watch very much. You're not sitting around watching Indiana a great deal. I mean, I watch this league about as much as anyone can, and um, you know, everyone always asks me, like, oh, what shows do you watch? I'm like, I watch the NBA. You know, I, I like on the plane today, watch Charlotte, Sacramento, and Houston, Washington. Like, I'm a loser. <laughs> um, so I watch, you know, I watch a lot, and I still didn't watch a lot of Indiana. So uh, he, he's really good. Um, and we have three guys who can go put 20 on a board on a given night. And that, that, there aren't a lot of teams in the league that have that. David Locke with us, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. David, um, before the Jazz played Oklahoma City, you did your pregame hit uh, with the pregame show with us, uh, as you do before every game, you and Ron, and, and uh, it's a great part of the pregame. Uh, but you mentioned how uh, Oklahoma City had changed how they were using Stephen Adams, and he was going to sag while defending the pick and roll and uh, sag on the uh, down into the paint. And we saw that, and, and through the course of this young season, I've noticed Rudy hasn't gotten as many lobs as he did last year, so at, at practice... I asked Rudy about it, and he said that pretty much every team had been sagging the big that they had played to that point, and that was probably three, maybe four games into it. Uh, but my, my question for you is, do you think that this is an adjustment to Rudy and we're going to see teams play this way more, or is it maybe some one-off situations with some teams that just game plan that way by sagging the big? Gordon, are you listening to this? I am. Are you seeing what's, ha- are you seeing what's happened to our guy Jake Scott right here? I mean, like that's basketball savant questions right there. All right, <laughs> look at you. Hey, you do the pre, you do the pregame, postgame show long enough. You go to enough practices. Look, look what's happening to our guy Jake Scott here. We're talking dropping big defenses, defensive trends in the NBA. Jake, welcome to the Loser Club. <laughs> you should go back to the cool dude you were beforehand. Everyone's always thought you were like this cool, suave dude. Now you're like a dad and you're talking dropping bigs. You've lost it, kid. Um, so you're actually on a really big issue in the NBA. This is probably the number one item that those of us that are junkies, like we're talking about, talk, are talking about right now. The Two years ago, the league went to switching because the Rockets were switching everything. And that was the big in vogue thing. And the Warriors were switching everything. And those are gone. No one is doing it anymore. Maybe the Rockets are doing a little, but I don't think so. Because the Rockets are only allowing 26% of shots at the rim right now. So I'm certain they're just dropping Capella to the rim to do that. Milwaukee last year put Brooke Lopez right in front of the rim all season long and allowed teams to shoot threes. Interestingly enough, they allowed teams to shoot above the break threes uh, and specific players. And... They only allowed 30% of shots at the rim, and they were the number two defense in the NBA. And the, we are the number one defense in the league with Rudy dropping, and the entire league has now followed. So the, the death of the big man is somewhat over in the sense that the big man's alive again. And the big man, if you have him, is dropping into the restricted area with his hands high and protecting the rib. And right now, in the opening week of the season, there are four teams in the league who are only who are allowing less than thirty percent of shots at the rim? Last year, the Milwaukee Bucks did that, and it was like stunning. Nobody hit allowed that few shots at the rim. So, this is a huge part of what's going on in the league. It's it relates to 
uh, your previous point as well, which is why is Don, why is Donovan taking so many mid-range shots? Because when he's driving right now, that big is sitting all the way back, taking away Rudy's role, and that's the shot that he has available to him. So this is the number one trend in the league, and um, you know I could really go on on this for a long time. I really feel um, if you can be passionate about something that's really geeky. Um, I'm very passionate in my belief um, and have written quite a lot of little internal, you know, basketball dissertations on this, that Moneyball in the NBA is a defensive game as much as it is an offensive game. The Spurs have shown a little bit that you can offensively do things uh, differently than the Rockets and still be a good. But I, um, I mean, how far do you want me to go here? You really, I mean, I could dig in deep. Do you since I die, we got time, and I could really dig in. I'd say dig away. Uh, no, we go, got a, go, go we got a couple yeah. of minutes. Dig on in. All right. So if you look across the league at the standard deviation of opponents' shooting percentages based on spot of floor. So in other words, what I mean by that is the range from the best shooting to the worst shooting teams on above the break threes, on the mid-range jumpers, the rim. Okay. If you eliminate kind of the outliers, so one or two on each side, um, or two or three, you know, one through three, so the, the top three teams above, the, the margin between what the fifth team in the league shoots on a long two and what a 26th ranked team in the league shoots on a long two is about a percentage point. And the same is true for an above the break three. So over the course of a season – where you make people shoot is actually, in my opinion, more important than how you actually defend the actual shot. Now, coaches don't want to believe that. Um, some of them actually are beginning to. Um, but so the rim is 1.3 points per shot. The corner two, three is 1.2 points per shot. The above the break three is about 1.1 points a shot. And the mid-range shot is 0.8 points per shot. Huge difference on those last ones. So where you force people to shoot is the money ball defensive game, more importantly, frankly, than how you defend the actual shot, particularly the mid-range versus the threes because of that .3 to .4 difference. It doesn't matter how much you defend that shot. It's still just a way better shot if someone takes a three. And so the Jazz with Rudy are able to protect the rim at an elite level. They have been bending the other people's shot chart all year long. The fact they can still do that without favors is not surprising to me. It was a little overplayed, frankly, by everyone in town on favors thing. If you looked at a larger sample size, the Jazz have always been great with just Rudy and a small. And so this means the Jazz have a decent chance of still being a great defensive team. But this is truly, to me, the number one thing I look at a game. Last night at halftime, Clippers were shooting 52% of their shots from the mid-range. I looked at Ron, I was like, we're winning this game by 20. You cannot beat someone shooting 52% of your shots from the mid-range. You can get lucky for a short period of time, but you can't beat someone. And over the course of a season, if you're doing what the Jazz are doing defensively, with the way they're bending people's shot chart, you will be a top five defense, guaranteed. The Jazz last year, I will stop after this. The Jazz last year... I don't have it in front of me, but I believe, according to my metrics, won five games solely based on how they bent the shot chart. Five. It's huge. David, your wealth 
your overabundance of knowledge, you are a loser. <laughs> Thank you. I'm proud to be a loser. I love this stuff. I really do. I'm proud. You know, right I think there with you, you know, Gordon. You you know my dad a little. I was I was raised in the '80s, '70s, and '80s. In night, I think I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. And uh, you know, I admire my dad so much. I love to tell the story. So I was a baseball pitcher in Little League Baseball in 80, 81, and 82. And the only statistic that we kept was whip. But we didn't know it was called whip. It was walks plus hits equaled innings pitched. And that was all my dad ever talked to me about on every outing I ever had as a pitcher. From 10, 11, and 12 years old, he was 10 years before the and baseball went to those stats. So I was raised in a house where you looked at the game this way. And the way I look at basketball, it's a huge factor. The league was behind. Quinn was way ahead on this issue for the last three years. It's why we've been the number one defense in the league two years in a row. The league is be, there's a decent discuss, there's a decent discussion for us to continually have if you're interested in this over the next few weeks of whether or not we have small sample size or the rest of the league is following what the Jazz and the Bucks have done. Next time we have you on, David, I, I would like to give this some thought because I want to hear from you what you think the next big trends are based on your research, based on your study. We'll get into that next time. But, uh, I, you know, I mean, with all that research you've done, I imagine you might be better positioned to forecast these things than, than darn near anybody so, else. Uh, interesting. I worked on two major studies this summer. I uh, zeroed on one, and I think I found something on the other, so we can talk about this next time. All right, a little tease for next uh, next week. I like Sounds it. Sounds good to me. Great work, as always, David. And, uh, hey, look forward to talking to you tomorrow in the pregame. See you, guys. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, with us. Get a little geeky. Well, we like getting geeky with Locke. And, and seriously, that uh, that sagging the big thing, I know David got into it at, at, at great length, but it's there's a noticeable difference with Rudy this year, and that's they're they're playing him different. And it, it sounds like it's a league trend more than just focused on Rudy, but that's there's an impact on that. Well, I like that quote from Rudy where he said, uh, and he said this multiple times, that uh, opponents have some decisions to make. Yep. All right, uh, David's interview today brought to you by our friends at Cypress Credit Union with the lowest fees and quickest keys. Cypress has the home loan product that is perfect for you. Visit any Cypress branch or cypresscu.com for details. I got a headache. Coming up next, uh, there are some... uh, 1.8% of the time. There there are some statements coming from uh, Provo about Logan (laughs) that have created a a bit of a stir, but should they... We'll get well, into that I, coming I think up next. Well, they will uh, 2.5% of the time. What the hell just happened? More straight ahead, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.